What is up, all of you beautiful people, and welcome back to the All Eyes Podcast. Season 2, episode number 12, question mark? I believe it's either 12 or number 13. Probably should have looked before starting this thing. Oh well, we're going right into it. And it's Wisconsin week, which also always seems to be sort of a trip for Iowa, especially when it's on the road, and no pun intended on that. Um, That said, I'm always joined by my phenomenal co-host, Thad Nelson, who you can find on Twitter at TNels20. And this is just a weird feeling game, not just because of the opponent, but there's just a lot of interesting storylines heading into this one that I think with Iowa coming off a bye week um, could be really fleshed out in a positive way, or it could really exacerbate things moving forward for the rest of the season and set a a real tone for this Iowa um, journey the rest of the way. Um, So let's just get right into it. Thad. Wisconsin, Iowa. This isn't this Wisconsin team didn't start the way we're used to Wisconsin teams starting. But of course, you know, the, the second that they're playing Iowa, they have sort of momentum rolling a little bit um, on both offense and defense. And it, it just feels like one of those games that's going to be incredibly low scoring, defensive driven. Um, what jumps out to you just immediately? when you preview this specific matchup with Iowa and Wisconsin? It's one of those games that every time Iowa's getting ready to play Wisconsin, uh, you just know it's going to be a physical, defensive-minded game on both sides. Both of these defenses are tremendous, and both of these offenses have a ton of question marks. You go to watch these two teams, and it's really a lot of feast or famine based on turnovers. And, you know... You talked about Wisconsin getting off to that rough start. They've had a ton of turnover issues. They've had quarterback issues. Um, But the defense has always at least been been there. And sometimes the offense just puts its defense in a terrible position. And Iowa really, up until the Purdue game, uh, the turnover margin was in their favor all of the time. They were dominating, dominating in that fashion. And they were winning the way Iowa wants to win games. Field position, special teams run the ball, hit a few big plays. And then the Purdue game hits, and it all goes backwards. Uh, The offense doesn't do anything. The offensive line really, really struggles. The defense gives up big play after big play. And Iowa hits the bye week, and you're like, okay, a chance to refresh. And then, then Wisconsin goes out and just pummels that same Purdue team. So... You know, they turn them over a ton and do basically everything you expected Iowa to do against Purdue. They did it. They ran the ball all over them. They had four interceptions and they just wore Purdue down. And that's what we expected Iowa to do. And we saw it the next week by Wisconsin. So my big question coming out of it is what's Iowa going to look like out of this bye week? Is it going to look like Purdue looked against Iowa coming out of a bye week? Or is it going to look like Penn State looked against Illinois coming out of a bye week? And, you know, there's just so much question, so many questions in my mind leading into this game. Yeah, and I think we have to revert back a little bit to what worked for Purdue because Purdue is the first team all year to really find consistent drive after drive, um, ability to move the football and convert on third downs no matter the distance, right? So, we have to sort of compare that to Wisconsin's defense because, yeah, this is a good Wisconsin defense. They're always a good Wisconsin defense. It's kind of what they're led on. Um, the interesting thing to me 
is that they might not have the guys on defense that they normally have, but that's still wild approach of just stunting up front on the defensive line, um, taking aggressive slants, filling with back end blitzes, um, really trusting that their corners can play and stick in man coverage and still maintain good eye discipline, which again, we talked about with Iowa's defense, you know, more so zone oriented with Iowa's defense, but Wisconsin somehow year after year, no matter who their personnel is on the back end, they have guys who are sticky enough in man coverage yet can get their eyes across. And yeah, that might kill them against some of the more um, athletic teams like in Ohio state or whenever they run into, you know, they played LSU in the past and teams like that with really athletic wide receivers. And sometimes, yeah, that can get them in trouble. I was really not threatening in that department, um, in my opinion. And then we just watched a game against Purdue where I did think that Iowa moved the ball well on offense. Um, it was just the capitalization when they got moving. You know what I mean? And so it's going to come down to with the spotlight being put on Iowa's offense this week. Will they be able to will they be even confident to take those kind of man to man shots and just hope that Spencer Peters can make the throw? Or are they going to try to lean on the run game, which again, you know, we, we've seen it from every single team Iowa's played. They trigger fast against the run. They're not afraid to fill in from the third level against the run and basically just add numbers to the box. Um, and again, Wisconsin's defense is aggressive up front with blitzes and with stunts. And we haven't seen Connor Colby handle stunts well this season. Um, we haven't seen uh, Nick DeYoung or Jack Plum handle stunts well this season from that right tackle spot. So there's a lot of questions on whether or not, you know, that's going to be a major complication because they're going to be doing it more than any team Iowa has faced so far. Especially early downs. I mean, they send those guys really hard, really creative in the early downs. And then if they get you in third down and long, it's going to look a lot like what Iowa State did, where they're going to drop seven or eight in coverage and make you try to fit it into a small window. You know, third down in this game is just, in my opinion, it's going to be a disaster really hard for both teams. Neither of these offenses are equipped against these types of defenses to have a lot of success on third down and long. Uh, you know, and, and that's the thing we talked about that Purdue game. Iowa was doing some good things on first and second down, but they kept giving up third down and long. And then you watch that Wisconsin-Purdue game, and I think, I think at one point in the third quarter, Wisconsin was one of six on third down, and Purdue was one of four. You know, so long, long gone was that Purdue, what, nine of 14? with all those long conversions that they had against Iowa, they were not able to do. And it was a little bit of like, Iowa, you know, gave up some things, but O'Connell just wasn't making the same passes. He had some guys open, he had situations to make plays, and he made them in the Iowa game and was not able to convert against Wisconsin. So third down is going to be rough, but you talked about blitzing. I mean, you watch film of this Wisconsin defense, and those linebackers, they just keep churning out linebackers, you know, Jack Sanborn. And then Leo Chanel is everywhere. You know, he's in the backfield getting sacks, he's covering, and he's just everywhere. And then you look it up and you see he's 260 pounds. And I mean, he's just a really, really impressive player. And those two specifically make that defense go. Their front three are just going to eat up blocks. They're huge in those front three positions. And they they turn everything over to those linebackers. They are the leaders in their pass rush. 
they're the leaders in getting drops in their uh, defensive coverages. They rely on them so much. So for Iowa, I'm really interested to see if Iowa, you know, uses those tight ends especially to really stress those linebackers. Make them think if they're rushing, you know, those linebackers or those tight ends are going to be working behind. And really force those linebackers to slow down a step because they are so aggressive at the snap. Yeah, and you know, you brought up their defensive line and how bulky they are. And the way that Wisconsin's always played their defensive line, even pre uh, Jim Leonard with Dave Aranda, it was always interesting to me that those guys never really turned out to be anything uh, as far as just pro wise because they were aided so much by what they are being asked to do snap by snap. And again, it goes back to the the heavy aggressive slants that they're offered to do. So yeah, you're going to see the defensive line make a lot of splash plays, blow up a lot of runs the outside, and it's because they force you, force these zone teams to really execute their reach blocks. And what have we talked about all week long, um, or at least after that Purdue recap about Iowa's offensive line? It's when on the back end of these plays, on the back end of these Iowa runs, They've been having a hard time converting some of these reach blocks in one-on-one situations. And yeah, there's going to be some running opportunities in this game just because they will be heavily slanting. And sometimes I will catch them on the counter or um, or just on the opposite side of a heavy slant. But it's just the well-timed play calling and the well-timed uh, way to do that, um, that heavy slanting that really co- complicates things for Iowa, especially over the years. That's really been the story when they've tried to run against Wisconsin. Um, you know, they'll bust out these 20 yard gains um, or, you know, these 10 yard gains for a good portion of their plays. But it's the plays that result in a five yard loss to end up derailing Iowa because, again, it goes back to their secondary and then their sticky and man coverage. And, you know, you brought up Purdue and, and Aiden O'Connell. And I think that's the duality of uh, a quarterback in college who we know isn't really that great. And, yeah, he made throws one week and he found a rhythm one week. But when I, when uh, Wisconsin is playing you differently than Iowa, you know, say the coverage is still tight in both in both kind of examples. But Iowa sort of gives that perception of it's not that tight. Try to just make the throw with confidence, and there's an actual window to it. With Wisconsin, their corners are sticking to you from the line of scrimmage, and it's just a different look and a different perspective from the quarterback. Even if the ultimate coverage is the the exact same kind of um, placement. So sometimes with zone coverage, a quarterback's going to have a little bit more confidence just because he he if he's not seeing the whole field well, those windows look a little bit larger. But with Wisconsin, you know that's going to be a thing that Petrus is going to have to face as well in this game. You know receivers are not going to look open for a lot of times. You just kind of have to anticipate double moves, um, whether or not a Wisconsin defender or a defensive back is actually in good position and actually able to react well to the route that you're about to throw. Those are decisions that Petrus is going to have to make in this game. And outside of really Penn State, who didn't run as much man coverage as I thought they were going to um, and our, our preview leading up, this is going to be a team that runs about 50% man coverage out of their corner spots. And that's going to be an interesting little uh, predicament or spot that Petrus is going to really feel out as the game kind of pushes on. And I think back to last year, that second half, how good Petrus looked, but but who who made those splash plays? He was getting Amir Smith-Marset, who could take the top off of those man coverages. You know, you want to press him, and now he's you know suiting up on Sunday, and 
and Iowa doesn't have that same type of speed. I mean, I, I'm interested to see, you know, I think Keegan Johnson sees his role grow uh, and he's shown his speed, but in my opinion, you know, he's not that same level of speed as someone like Amir Smith-Marset on those deep crosses and the post routes that he was successful against Wisconsin last year. So Petrus is going to have to fit some windows and he's going to have to trust those receivers to make some of those plays because as you said, you know, they're going to be all over them from the start. So it's not going to be a ton of timing routes, which is why I really think those tight ends are going to be so important in this game. Work in the middle of the field, working some position routes because you're not going to be able to jam them and stick them the way you can a receiver. You can hit them, but they're they're going to stay on their route a little bit easier. So Iowa is really going to need Sam Laporta to play well. They're going to need Luke Lachey to be back 100%. And those two are going to be really important in how Iowa attacks this Wisconsin defense and attacks those linebackers that make so many plays in other areas. Yeah, and when you kind of look up at the and look at the makeup of Wisconsin's defense, the way you really have success, just you know, uh, taking personnel aside, um, the kind of blueprint you want to attack uh, Wisconsin's defense with, it's misdirection in the run game, so counters, um, power, uh, sometimes even pitching outside and doing a little bit of pin and pull action, getting lead blockers out in front. That's something that works really well in the. I want to say it was 2019. It was the game that. Uh, um, Ty- the Tyron Tracy touchdown game that Nate Stanley tried to go for two. I believe that was 2019. Um, so that was something that really worked for the run game in that one. And they actually, Iowa had a lot of success in that first half running the ball against Wisconsin in that game. And that's sort of how you do it with those jet motion kind of sweeps going opposite way. The split flow, split, uh, split flow action with Sam Laporta and Luke Lachey. Um, it could be huge, just like it has been for a lot of this season for Iowa. And, you know, the way teams like Ohio State, who have really found constant success against Wisconsin over the years, is, yeah, they do do that counter run stuff, but they haven't really had established running success against them. They just have the athletes on the outside. You know, that's just kind of like the fact to it. And they are able to take those deep shots and then mix in, you know, four good drives that result in four touchdowns and end up winning 31 to 14 just because their defense pitches a shutout. So that's not really a blueprint that Iowa can really live on in this game. I mean, you might have one or two of those splash plays, but who is it really going to come from? Charlie Jones? I don't think that we've really seen the dedication or the uh, um, the specific sort of game planning to get him involved in the deep passing game outside of really like Colorado State or Iowa State for like one or two plays in that. Um, it, and it will be an interesting thing to watch because this is coming off a bye week for Iowa. So, and after kind of that embarrassment against Purdue on offense of just, you know, not being able to score, you know, maybe we see a lot of different tweaks and maybe that's me being very optimistic about it, but we have seen some crazy play design and some successful and innovative kind of play design from Brian Ferris this season in weird spots like against Colorado State. I thought it was probably the most brilliantly called game um, just from a play, to, play design perspective. But then it's kind of just been a they've they've fallen into sort of this this groove of, well, we're, we're kind of only really living off play action and our big plays come on sort of selling outside zone and then getting the pass over top of it. But it will be interesting to see if they do a little bit more manufactured routes or manufactured like separation kind of patterns this season. So where um, two routes are working in cohesion together, 
just to get somebody open because again, this is man coverage a lot of time. You know, if you do a quick little rub and you don't get called for it, there's your separation and just send them on a go on the outside. That would be interesting kind of watch on uh, for Iowa's perspective. Yeah, can Iowa generate that space in their passing game with those routes? If you're going to be in man coverage, Iowa's going to need some of those rub routes, some of those switch routes, um, deep crossing routes. But then if you start thinking about those things, what do almost all of those take? They take time. So is Iowa going to be able to to keep Petrus clean long enough to let those happen? And I think so much of it matters. You know, Iowa had this bye week. How healthy can they get? And Kirk Ferentz mentioned it in his weekly press conference, but they've just, you know, you came in thinking the interior of the line was going to be so good. And we talked about it on the pod last week. Kyler Schott's been injured. Cody Ince has been injured. Those guys have missed significant time. And, you know, they they haven't been able to get their full reps. They're not in shape the way that they normally would be. And we thought those three were really going to seal that interior. And I was going to need that in this game. So, you know, is Cody Ince back healthy and how healthy? You know, how's shot coming back from the foot injury? Is his stamina up? Was he able to get some of that cardio in? And, I, you know, the term Ferentz used this week was great, just that callus. You know, is, is he building up that callus to be able to sustain a long, super physical game like this is going to be? And I think for Iowa, if you have those two healthy and, you know, at 90% of what you kind of expected coming into the year, I think that gives the line a big boost because those two know how to make some of those exchanges. Um, Shot's really good with his awareness on those blitzes, those twists. And Ince is another really experienced player. So that can help those young tackles out in those situations. So are those guys healthy? Is Lachey back? Can they run a lot of two tight end stuff, which allows them to, you know, force those wide rushers from the linebackers to go a little bit wider, help the tackle out a little bit. And then, you know, somebody's just going to have to make some plays. You know, we saw last year, Tyler Goodson break a long run. You know, we had those long passes to Amir Smith-Marset. So who on this offense is going to be able to generate some of those splash plays? Because you're not going to be able to, you know, be consistently just march it up and down against Wisconsin. And really, that's been the key, in my opinion, to this Iowa offense and why sometimes they've really struggled is they haven't been able to generate those like three yards on first down, four or five yards and like keep just five yards on this run, six yards on this run. So they're constantly in these like, Loss of two, second and 12. You know, maybe they pick up three and then they lose two on second down. Now it's third and nine. And you get into these situations where the down and distance is really dictating your play call, not what you want to do as an offensive team or an offensive coordinator. So is Iowa going to be able to be consistent enough up front to not be having their play calls dictated completely by down and distance? Because you do not want to get into long situations against this Wisconsin team. Yeah, and you know, if you were to tell me before the season that Mason Richmond would be playing as well as he is at left tackle, and you would have Kyler shot back um, by Iowa State, um, and then he from then on he would be playing consistent snaps, a bulk of the snaps per game, and you would have told me that Cody Ince would be at right guard or vice versa with Kyler shot uh, left guard, right guard. You know, that's an offensive line that 
could almost a matchup to what last year sort of provided for them. But with Kyler Shaw being hurt and, you know, uh, Cody Ince, we don't even know really what's going on with him because there hasn't been really a whole lot of dialogue surrounding him. I don't know if even a question has been asked in like a press conference about, you know, is he hurt? Um, is he just, is it kind of precautionary? Like what's going on there? It could be even the personal that like we, I don't think we really even know. And what's interesting is when we saw Cody Ince early on in the year, it almost kind of like looked like he was platooning at that time, which kind of was confusing. And that means, I mean, that would kind of make sense if he was hurt and they were just kind of doing the same thing with Kyler shot, but then he just kind of fell off the map and everybody's just kind of like, uh, Where's Cody inset? And we haven't really gotten a straight answer on it. But no doubt in my mind, you know, if he's healthy and Kyler Schott's healthy, this is a different game. But we kind of have to look at the most recent output and just kind of expect that maybe Cody Ince isn't going to be there. And if he is, you know, we can't really assume that he's just going to be an immediate upgrade over a Justin Britt or a Connor Colby at right guard. Or if even if he will be playing right guard, it's possible that he's going to platoon with Kyler shot at left guard. We have no idea what their game plan coming in is. And that's why it was so crucial to have that bye week um, because the coaching staff obviously knows and they know what they're going to try to do. And I, I think what they're going to try to do is ride Connor Colby out as long as they can at right guard um, until it looks like he can't handle the, the aggressiveness because again, he is a phenomenal athlete. So a lot of these hard slants, he's uh, fast enough. He's quick enough. And he's long enough, honestly, to pick up those um, aggressive slants. And maybe even if they, the defensive lineman has sort of a leg up on him, he can at least provide some kind of resistance. Where in the case of Justin Britt, in a lot of these cases, it, I, I'm, I'm afraid of having him on the backside um, against a team that slants as hard as Wisconsin does. And what you said, we just really don't know. And we don't know the status of those players and what their health and what their conditioning is. Because we've mentioned a lot, like, we couldn't figure out what was going on with Ince. Why is he not playing more? What's going on? When he is, he hasn't looked as effective. And then he misses the Purdue game. He's just a complete scratch from the, uh, from even the depth chart. So we assume, and I, Ferentz did allude to just he was out. But as you said, they've never really specified what it is, um, what's kept him out of the lineup. So hopefully the bye week has been a time for him and somebody like Shot to get back. And really now, you know, somebody like Connor Colby to sit down and and really process everything that's happened those first seven weeks. Because you have to imagine it's been a bit of a whirlwind for him seeing some of the teams they faced and just like, okay, take a breath. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to do it. And there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be troubles up front. Iowa has to withstand those and find a way to pop a few big plays and just keep Wisconsin from generating a lot of negative plays against this Iowa offense. Yeah, and for Connor Colby especially to have those, what is it, seven games now under their belt, and to go into a bye week and have seven games of tape to, during that bye week, sort of reflect on. And it's not like throughout the uh, every single situation there was a stunt, Connor Colby struggled, or there was a, there was a communication failure, or on every single blitz pickup situation he had an issue. But those were the plays that gave him issues. But he also has reps where he looked very composed and he looked very um, in his sort of his element and executing technique wise the way you're supposed to. So there are positive things to build on. And like you said, I think it's more so a whirlwind kind of thing for him in just terms of, you know, settling down, 
recognizing situations before they happen based on tells and just that that kind of familiarity familiarity experience kind of factor that yeah look how this defensive end shading it's not normal compared to these other snaps they're just you know keep your head on a swivel there might be a game be, uh, being played or something's about to happen um and there def there was definitely teams during this season that were specifically targeting Connor Colby when he was in there with those kind of stun actions and those delayed blitzes and you know I Again, he's a f- true freshman starting at right guard in sort of a forced kind of situation where, they, you know, they weren't really expecting him to be the starting right guard coming into the year, I don't think. But he's been a good player in a lot of different aspects. And I think that as the season kind of goes, we're only going to see him grow as a player. And they're going to need that growth in this game from him, you know, because as you mentioned, all the different stunting, slanting that this Wisconsin team will do. They'll bring linebackers early. They'll delay the linebackers. They're going to need to be aware of all those things because you'll see when you watch Wisconsin, I'm in, it's going to be interesting to see how Iowa handles their play-action game because Wisconsin, you know, if they see Petrus turn his back, whether it's a handoff or play-action, those linebackers frequently are coming downhill and coming down hard. So how is Iowa going to manage that, and how are those linemen going to be able to pick them up because if it's a run you've got it if you can get a piece of him you could have that run that Goodson had last year where you know nobody gets him or he gets through the first guy and then it's just him on the secondary but they could also blow it up for a four-yard loss same thing with play action you know Petrus turns his back at all you've got to be able to get your hands on those guys at least long enough for Petrus to find a guy because he's going to get one-on-one coverage So is it Laporta? Is it Johnson? Is it, you know, do we see Tyrone Tracy Jr. break out? We've been waiting for it all year. Um, Maybe this is his game that he has kind of that, you know, shining moment. But they've just got to give him a chance because last week when we talked about it, Petrus had no chance. And this week, if if that's that situation again, this Iowa team is going to have a hard time scoring double digits. Yeah, and you know, luckily for Iowa, this is a team that generates a lot of pressure based on blitzing. Um, so there might be some times in the pocket if you know the blitz pickup is right, and you know Tyler Linderbaum and the guy and Mason Richmond and the guys on the edge are holding their own. Which I don't think they're going to be overwhelmed on the edge in this game necessarily, unless there's um, a nickel kind of blitz or a situation where um, there's communication needing to be paramount. Um, that said, I. Again, we saw even last week Spencer Petrus make good throws. And yeah, some of them ended up being an interception and tip drill kind of things, but we don't want to see him be passive on those kind of throws because he's putting them generally good in, in terms of accuracy and good in terms of placement. And, you know, there's things to build on. We've been seeing it throughout the season, his maturation process. And yeah, that's one bad hiccup. And we kind of know his body of work as being still out of structure, kind of the panicky kind of type and not the most composed. It'll be interesting to see how he really comes from a bounce back sort of game. You know, last year, Northwestern was that that sort of bounce back game for him, um, you know, coming off of that game. And I think Michigan State was that third game of the season. And he kind of was, I don't know, the running game sort of carried Iowa in that one. He wasn't really asked to shoulder a lot. He's going to be asked to shoulder a lot in this one. Because I have a really bad feeling about Iowa's running attack, rushing attack in this game, um, just as far as a consistent basis is concerned. I think that they're going to have 
you know, 15 yard plays and 20 yard plays potentially down the field in the running game. And the average might look, oh, it's above three and a half yards per carry. That's pretty solid. But 20 of those carries were like for two yards or less is what I kind of think. Um, so it will be kind of interesting to monitor that because I do think he's going to have to shoulder a lot, even with how good the secondary is. What I think, I mean, Wisconsin's defense right now, I I don't have the number in front of me, but I feel like they're giving up. It was like 1.9 or 2.1 yards per rush. So, I mean, if they're getting three, three and a half, at least that's an upgrade on what teams are doing against Wisconsin right now. You know, so that's going to be even a challenge to do that. But at least for Iowa, at least with Petrus, uh, I feel like you can put some on his shoulders and you have a chance. You look at Wisconsin, you know, they've kind of turned around their season. Why? Because they've just taken the quarterback and said, you just hand off and we want you to do nothing else. We want to, we would love to just eliminate you from this team right now and your impact in this game. And that's the situation Wisconsin's in. And part of how they've turned it around is they've just basically just said, hey, we're leaning on our run game. You know, we're going to use our two running backs and just we want to run the ball 50, 60 times. And Mertz, if you can scramble once or twice, if you can hit a play action, you know, we would love you to throw 12 to 15 times max. So at least with Iowa, you you know, I feel like Petrus, at least you have a chance if you absolutely need it. And Wisconsin wants no part of passing with their offense. Yeah, Graham Mertz is um, a clone of Christian Hackenberg because he throws he's a tall um, pocket passing sort of quarterback who spins a good ball in shorts and he's a statue in a game like cement feet. Uh, that's why I've been referring to a lot of Graham Mertz's film as it's just like he plods right there. And it's like, dude, you're a statue that kind of just has like a, a throwing mecha- mechanism attached to you. That's how it really feels a lot of time with him. And, you know, he doesn't see the field well at all. And like you said, they sort of have been taking the ball out of his hands as much as they can, despite, um, you know, early season matchups where they were like, listen, we're down two scores. We're going to start slinging the ball. And that was always a massive detriment. Uh, you know, interceptions were an issue, uh, field position, just bad missed throws. And now, you know, coming out of that Purdue game, Wisconsin's rushing attack. You know, this is obviously what Wisconsin's been known for, but it kind of took a little bit of a delayed, slow start this season to really, really get going the way we know Wisconsin's um, rushing attack can be. And I mean, now, again, they have some freshmen. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's from New Jersey. I have no idea. Braylon Allen, who just has juice and these cuts and these smooth cuts. Um, And he can really do damage with these sort of long runs the way we've seen you know, Melvin Gordon do it and Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Taylor do it. And then they also have Chesma Lucy, who's kind of more of a um, physical runner with sort of edge um, and more, I guess, reliable in terms of ball control. Because last week, it, that was a massive thing for Wisconsin. I think I, I was watch I was watching that game back and I was watching it live. It felt like they fumbled seven times in that game. Um, th- yes. th- they didn't yes. lose all of them, but it was like, Oh my gosh, the ball is hitting the turf all the time. And Purdue's defense is really not like a ball forcing out kind of defense that's super opportunistic, despite, you know, the previous week they forced four turnovers against I or uh, four interceptions against Iowa. It it's sort of like I don't know. It was just kind of weird plays that 
you don't really expect Wisconsin running backs to be fumbling on, and they just were. You mentioned it. I mean, I, I yeah, I'm looking at it right now. They had three fumbles in the first quarter alone. Yeah, and they only lo- they only lost one of them, and two were back to back. There was a muff punt, and then they fumbled. Um, later, Mertz gets sacked, and it's a Karloftis returns it about 60 yards for a touchdown, and that ball was just on the turf all the time. And we talked about their struggles. They've had nine turnovers in the fourth quarter alone this year. So we talk about all the issues they've had. I mean, the inability to a, in those games come back because you're throwing interceptions kind of like Iowa had late against Purdue or the ball's just on the turf. And you mentioned Braylon Allen, the freshman. I mean, he is a load six two, nearly 240 pounds. I looked at, he's from Wisconsin. Um, by the way, uh, over under about 13 times that they mention he's 17 years old and won't turn 18 <laughs> until the season's over. By the way, um, that's going to get old really quickly. But with him and Malusi, they've got a nice one-two punch, you know, some speed and some power. But they don't want Mertz to have to do anything. And that Purdue game was really weird because you look at the final score and it's it's kind of a blowout 30-13. to 13, But that game was was tied 13-13 midway through the third quarter. And Wisconsin had their opportunities. Now, one of those Wisconsin scores was on that fumble return by Karloftis. Another touchdown was, I believe, off of another turnover where they got a short field. So they were able to kind of come back. But it was, you know, it was a 13-13 game until really what changed it. So it's a tie game. Purdue looks like they've they're kind of getting close to a field goal. Um, just looks like they're going to get a field goal, get a penalty. They punt it. They down it like inside the 10. And Allen breaks off a 60-yard run. Like two plays later, they've got second and long. And Malusi looks like on a nickel blitz, he's going to get tackled for a three or four-yard loss. Somehow the defender just decides to like hit him and not actually wrap him up. He breaks the free 20-yard touchdown. All of a sudden, they're up seven, and then they're just leaning on them. You know, they get another. Tr- I think right after that, Purdue's first play, uh, they put Plummer in. He fumbles, and Wisconsin's got another touchdown. And then at the end, they're just running out the clock. But even though it's a blowout, like that game was not a blowout until once Wisconsin got ahead, and then they could just lean heavy on their run game. And we knew from the last week, like. That's not Purdue's strength was to shut down a, the run game. Yeah, and you know you brought it up with Purdue how it was kind of a weirdly deceptive blowout. But let's talk about these other weirdly deceptive blowouts for Wisconsin in the reverse direction. They were up on Notre Dame heading into the fourth quarter, and let's take a look at that final score: forty-one thirteen. I you didn't hear that wrong. They were up on Notre Dame in the fourth quarter, heading into the fourth quarter. Then Michigan, it was a game all the way to halftime. And then, you know, it's still a game heading into the fourth quarter about a one possession or, or maybe I think it was a 10-point game heading into the fourth quarter for against Michigan. And all of a sudden, Michigan just rattles off 18 points. And what does that come down to? It comes down to Wisconsin pressing, trying to get the run or the passing game involved, and turnovers, which is such a weird thing for a Wisconsin team to have be the like kind of one of their sort of defining issues and then you know Penn State they only lost by six points in that game and how did they lose turnovers so the sort of the entire story of their season and the games that they've lost 
and I don't think they've really played in a true blowout game um, other than Illinois. Um, this is, again, we, we can't just look at how these final scores are coming out and be like, oh, this Wisconsin team is super, super down. I think it was a, a team that was sort of trying to find an identity, um, and they never really did in the passing game. And now they kind of settled into this new identity, which is still based on a strong defense that is definitely akin to Iowa's. Um, they just do it in a very different way. And then they found a way this past week to really efficiently move the ball um, in a certain kind of way, which is running the ball. And that's not really something new for Wisconsin. They're just kind of doing it, using it for a different kind of approach. And they are going to be a load to handle. And I, I, I understand why the spread came out this week at minus three and a half after being um, the opposite side with Iowa minus two and a half um, in previous weeks. You know, this is a Wisconsin team that finally started clicking this past week. And of course, they run into Iowa um, the week following it. And then you mentioned going back to that Michigan game. I think it was a seven point game when Mertz got hurt. He got blindsided on a blitz uh, and left the game. And right away when Chase Wolf comes in, he throws in interception, you know, turnovers, issues. So all of a sudden, next thing you know, Michigan's kind of looks like a blowout. So that's another, like, that was a close game until Mertz gets hit on that blitz. Now, you've mentioned he's, when he's back there, he's not really moving until if he decides to scramble. So, like, those hits, those big hits on those blitzes, and with his lack of awareness and vision, that's a possibility. But their season has just been so strange. And, and you watch them, and when they look good, man, do they look good. Uh, and when it looks bad, it looks really bad. But the other thing that I see now that they're just kind of in this run-heavy mode is it's what works best for this offensive line. Because when you watch them, it's not a great pass-blocking group, especially like the left tackle. Um, he really struggles in pass protection. But if you only throw it 12 times a game, you really minimize that. If they have to pass, he's going he's gonna to really struggle trying to block somebody like Van Valkenburg. You know, he's going to need help every single time in those like must pass situations. But if you're allowed to just, you know, use that 320 pound frame and lean on guys and, and kind of pin down while you got a guard pulling behind you and around you, then that's when they can do their damage because that offensive line is not a great pass blocking group, but they can just lean on you and get that center push. I mean, their, their amount of runs that they get, you know, in that A B gap where they're just putting it right up the middle is, you know, where the bulk of their yardage comes. And then those running backs are good enough to to avoid the first or second tackle or just move a pile and keep them in third down and short. Yeah, and you talked about the size of a Wisconsin offensive line, and it's not really that much bigger than what we're accustomed to seeing with Wisconsin offensive lines. But, you know, this plays into what their scheme is, and it's a gap blocking run scheme, which this is going to be the first time I was really faced a true one all season long, which is going to change up linebacker keys. It's going to change up defensive lineman keys. It's going to change up safety keys. And Wisconsin employs a lot of motion to sort of identify which coverage Iowa is in. And a lot of time Iowa is going to play match against Wisconsin. So what happens? That cash spot, whether it's Dame Belton or Justin Jacobs, is going to be forced into the box in sort of a rot rotation kind of aspect. And they're going to have to end up trying to play the keys of this offensive line. And again, 
in a, in a gap blocking kind of scheme, you're not really following the guards or the center or even the fullback as sort of your keys. You're almost sort of you're keying those same positions, but you're keying which alley they're trying to the torque of their bodies, which is different than just like the overall flow of the movement. If you get caught up in the flow of the movement, you're screwed against this team. Um, you know, they're going to gash you, especially if they try to get you in light box with those motions and with a lot of these spread looks that they like to run. Um, this is going to be an interesting matchup. And we've talked about it all season long with Iowa's sort of slenderness and light frame defensive lineman in the middle um, with a guy like Logan Lee, who's <laughs> looks like he's sub 290. I don't really care what he's listed at. He looks like he's sub 290. And in the past with Noah Shannon over the past two years against Wisconsin, what we've seen is he's really struggled to handle double teams, like really struggled. I mean, he gets blown off the ball um, a lot um, against Wisconsin in the past. <clears throat> and we haven't really seen him at any point really stand up to double teams overly well. And that's supposed to be the sort of like our big interior defensive lineman who's supposed to be that kind of uh, veteran heavy clog. And he really doesn't have a good track record with it. And then Logan Lee, again, you know, slender frame. So this is a game where I think YA Black is going to see a lot more run than what we're sort of used to seeing with him just because he does have that frame. And if he can figure out that base issue that he has with sort of getting off the ball a little bit late and then the offensive lineman across from him sort of getting into his chest a little bit sooner than what we're hoping he happens, I, I think that he's going to have to be one of the big keys in this game, one of the big X factors, because... That's what sort of worked for Iowa last year. They had Jack Heflin in the middle, you know, and and over years past, Davion Nixon and Jack Heflin working side by side. I mean, you can't really replace that, especially when those two dudes excel so well in the run game and have the size to match up with those big offensive linemen that Wisconsin has. And, you know, this is a veteran group on the offensive line um, outside of uh, Jack Nelson, who you know, we might not even see play. I know they do a little bit platooning with him. Um, so it is kind of an interesting little situation that I was being factored into here. And it's something that Iowa's defensive line really hasn't faced so far this year. It's no surprise that Iowa had their most success defensively against this Wisconsin run game last year because you had two NFL defensive tackles in Jack Heflin and Davion Nixon. And Heflin was an animal in that game eating up double teams and so is logan lee now logan lee's not near as that size he's really active but can he handle that for 40 50 snaps you know you've mentioned who they bring in i think of somebody like lucas van s who's been really good this year in so many situations but again kind of a long linear defensive tackle how does he handle some of that stuff the only thing i think iowa has going for them in this is more than years past, you mentioned Wisconsin's going to preliminarily be a gap run scheme, pulling guys, doing stuff like that. But this year, more than in years past, they have been doing more zone blocking. And I think it's because they're not, you know, they've always been big, but this is not the most agile group. And I talked about the left tackle really struggling in pass protection, and they had an injury at right tackle. Um, now, Bruss is back. He's played the last game or two but he missed some time. But it's not a group that those guards are really going to move in the center position or really going to move the way they have with, with some of those teams that had you know, guys who are NFL all pros or um, 
played in Pro Bowls. They don't quite have that. So they've gone to a little bit more zone scheme this year than years past. Now it's still going to preliminary or primary uh, their gap scheme. But I think that does play a little bit into Iowa being able to handle that because they see it all through fall camp. Yeah, and I, it is kind of an interesting little aspect of, you know, this Wisconsin offensive line overall um, and both pass and run um, protection isn't really the same with kind of Wisconsin from, you know, they're always usually just solid across the board. But now it's kind of like they're very one dimensional, just not from uh, a pass protection standpoint because they can't pass protect. They can't throw the ball when they do get good pass protection. So it will be kind of that interesting little dynamic of can Iowa take advantage of Wisconsin when they do decide to pass? I mean, I don't think this is going to be a game where um, Wisconsin sort of only throws the ball eight times. You know, I, I think that's sort of an aberration because the run game was working so well, especially in that second half, and they never really were forced to come back. But I do think that Iowa's defense... I think they're going to start. I mean, the smart thing in this game would just have Jack Campbell. Um, and I think we're going to see less Dane Belton in this game. I think we're going to see more Justin Jacobs. Just have those guys sort of filling and then telling your um, your defensive line to just sort of um, stick in your spots and just anchor down. But make that your primary focus. And we haven't really seen them pin their ears back too much this year um, on the defensive line. So I don't think it's too much of out of the norm, sort of um, an oddity, but more than ever, you know, stay in your spot. Let the linebackers try to do their job um, over top of you and fill into the right spots. And it's going to be a real um, test for them just because, you know, honestly, you have to go back other than last season. Um, the only good Iowa performance at linebacker we've seen against Wisconsin was back when Christian Kirksey, James Morris, and Anthony Hitchens were there with Carl Davis in front of them. It was really that group was the last time other than last season where Iowa's defense in the front seven or, you know, front guys actually performed the way they were supposed to against Iowa, Wisconsin's running attack. So, you know, we talk about this this linebacker group so much and, and Matt Benson or Seth Benson being you know, this, this guy that's a robot with his movements and just sort of finding the holes. Well, he's going to be really put to the test and stressed out or stretched out thin in this one. And Jack Campbell is going to have to really show some good gap discipline, which is something that, you know, as good as he is, it's been one of those, those lingering points of how good actually is he in this sort of aspect. And then Justin Jacobs, the same thing, you know, we've seen him lining up in the nickel spot and, and, you know, dropping back into coverage, whether it's man or zone. And he's going to be asked to run fit a lot more than what he's been doing over the course of his career so far. So there's a lot of questions that are going to be answered. And it's going to be a fun recap podcast to at least analyze how those guys did, especially because we can tell how those guys did with the broadcast angle. And, you know, this is going to be a fun game, but it's going to be one of those games that to the average fan might be a little bit boring. I <laughs> just cause I mean, I, you see this over under set at 36 and a half and you're just like, oof, yeah, I, I would take the under. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, one of those that I think you look at first and then you think about for a second, you're like, what, why is it that high? Maybe. <laughs> and you mentioned, you mentioned somebody like, like I want to go back to Justin Jacobs really having a new role, you know, and then throw on top of that. Wisconsin's, probably their most consistent receiving threat is their tight end in Jake Ferguson. So he's going to have a big role stopping another really good tight end. 
So he has that responsibility of, I've got to worry about this tight end, especially on third down situations. You know, they try to throw to Ferguson or throw to the running backs as much as anything on third down. So he has to manage that with also these run gaps. And it's really going to come down to which line, which defensive line can keep their linebackers clean enough to make plays on the running backs. And if Iowa can do that, if that front rotation of seven, eight guys can do that, and Campbell, Benson, and uh, Jacobs can roam free and make some plays, Iowa's got a really good shot. If those guys are having to, you know, try to crawl off blocks from guards, then Iowa's going to have a really tough time slowing down Wisconsin. Yeah, I could theoretically see a doomsday kind of scenario where, you know, Wisconsin's running the ball early, and then because of that, the play-action game actually ends up working. Because, listen, Graham Mertz, as bad as I do think he is, and as replaceable I think is as he will be um, in a year or two from now, I don't think he's going to be the quarterback long-term for Wisconsin, at least I'm hoping for them. Well, well, you know, obviously as an Iowa fan, I'm hoping that he is, <laughs> but I don't think Wisconsin fans are going to tolerate that as much longer. Um, I do think that he does spin a good ball at times, and he does have good placement at times, but it's just the overall body of work. If you're putting a lot of balls in his hands, you're kind of living on that dangerous edge. But then you have to sort of balance that with, well, the integrity of the passing game is important to a good, strong, balanced offense, which Wisconsin truly is. Um, they run the ball heavy and they lean on it. But the, a lot of their nice plays and a lot of their movement plays on third and second down and even first down, come on those sort of play actions and, and motions and just get it manufacturing space for their, their guys and those little pop passes down the seam to Jake Ferguson, who is an NFL player. So it's going to be interesting to see if, you know, if Iowa doesn't decide they want to play man on Jake Ferguson because they're committing more to the run game and they want to do zone exchanges. If Wisconsin doesn't just do those little quick pop passes right over the top um, and sort of like a, an over route or just telling Jake Ferguson, find an area and we'll throw it to you kind of thing. That could be a doomsday scenario for Iowa. Um, especially if they're not able, if they're getting overpowered up front early on in this game. I was going to have to find a way to, to force Wisconsin into third and six, third and, you know, third and six plus, especially because I just don't see either team converting a lot of those. And Wisconsin is prone to turnovers this year. And, you know, that's something that Iowa obviously creates a lot of turnovers. So if you can get Wisconsin in those third down situations, where then, hey, you can bracket Ferguson or you can let Jacobs really focus on him and not have to worry about his run responsibility enough, then the defense is going to be in a good spot. Agreed. And, you know, with that said, we've sort of fleshed out Wisconsin's offense, Wisconsin's defense, and sort of how they match up with Iowa. Let's get into sort of like the fun um, thing again of, you know, who wins this one? What's the final score going to be? Um who covers the spread? Who co- what's the over under set at? And you know, we already sort of talked about a few of those things, but the for the betting odds, the spread is set at plus three and a half for Iowa, um, and my obviously three and a half for Wisconsin. The over under is set at thirty six and a half. Iowa money line is plus one forty, so that's very juicy for a plus three and a half line. Um, what are you think? What are you thinking about when you see that sort of across the board? Um, give us your full prediction and sort of how it matches up with the spread, the over/under, and is Iowa money line worth a shot in this game? I think when you see a a game like this, in a lot of senses, it is kind of a coin flip. 
So being able to get, you know, 140, a little bit of juice on Iowa, uh, I think is a good number. There was a game earlier in the year. I I think I kind of said the same thing. I think maybe it was the Iowa State game where I'm not sure if Iowa was going to win, but I really liked Iowa, you know, that extra advantage on that money line because it's really basically a coin flip in a lot of ways when you look at these two teams and how similar they are in so many situations, how they're really good on defense. Their linebacker plays phenomenal. They want to run the ball. Quarterback has been a little bit of a roller coaster, but they've got some pieces when you look around. And the big thing I see is like, I just don't know how either of these teams does a lot of scoring. And one advantage Iowa does have is Iowa's special teams can make some big plays. You know, is this the chance we see a, you know, Jones break a punt return or there's another big kick return? And Wisconsin just had to put DK back at kick returns. The guy they did have returning kicks entered his name into the transfer portal and they've muffed a few punts. So special teams could play a huge role in this. And and I always will give Iowa an advantage on that against almost every team in the country. I absolutely. Now, oh, oh, continue, oh, continue. <laughs> now. I say that. I still just don't know how Iowa gets very many points. I don't know how Wisconsin gets very many points. So right now, um, I have Wisconsin winning this game because it is at home, uh, but by an exciting, lovely score of 13-9. to Now, I don't know. There might be multiple safeties. There might be weird, like, missed whatever. Um, I I just think it's going to be an odd game and produce kind of an odd score. You know, one of the most telling little prop bets they can place in this game, um, both teams to score 10 points is set at minus two, uh, 250. So it's not even that favorable. <laughs> it's just like we're they're daring you to say, oh, both these two teams are, take, are about to score 10 points. You really think that? I mean, obviously, this is a college football game. They probably should. It's just not overly likely that they will. And, uh, you know, you look back in the past two matchups Iowa's had with, with Wisconsin, one of the teams have broken into the 20s. You know what I mean? Like in 2019, obviously that failed two-point conversion could have sent it to overtime, which, oh, man, I, that Penn State-Illinois game has me scared to ever get in an overtime <laughs> battle. What a disaster of a rule. Um, anyway, not to break up too much of a tangent, but 22-24 in that game, Iowa lost. Last season with Wisconsin, you know, just being awful on offense. Um, I mean, they were an absolute shell of um, any Wisconsin team we're used to. And that COVID hit them hard, which is obviously one of the big things last year. Um, and I do think that their offense this year is definitely a lot stronger. It, it turned out 28-7. to And um, I can't remember how that touchdown came last season for Wisconsin, but I had a I had a, I had a feeling that it came on sort of like good field position for him. At least that was my what I'm remembering from that game. Um, I do think that that over under, you know, on paper they look kind of they're probably looking at it as oh Iowa's offense is awful, but we kind of know that they kind of under underperformed last week, but they were able to move the ball. Um, the points didn't reflect that moving the ball, but they missed a field goal. They broke into the red zone two other times and didn't come up with points. I mean, I do think Iowa can get to 20 points in this game. I, 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 can, I can envision a route on which that happens. And then with Wisconsin, 
I do see them at least scoring 13 in this game. So I'm about to go with the ballsy prediction of saying this game ends 20 to 17. I'm taking Iowa. So obviously I'm taking plus three and a half, taking the money line and then over under. I'm I'm, I'm getting the over by a hook. Uh, I'm getting 37 total points out of the over 36 over and under half. Um, 36 and a half over and under under and yeah, I'm, I'm rolling with the Hawks in this one. It, but like you said, it is a coin flip. Um, and it's going to depend on a lot of things, but I do think that the national sort of perspective on Iowa right now is overlooking Iowa's offense too much. Like, yeah, they do struggle on the offensive line to a degree, but they also have good spurts in there where the offensive line does click and it looks pretty solid. And then Spencer Petras's maturation. I don't think the four interceptions is going to become a norm for him against any defense. And I do think that he's come a long way in terms of accuracy and placement. And Tyler Goodson is good enough to break out one play and sort of get him in the field goal range or at least get a drive going and the momentum going. And then with Graham Mertz buying quarterback and their fumble issues, I mean, that screams that that three turnover mark that Phil Parker always talks about as being their goal week by week. I can envision Iowa getting that to that three turnover mark against Wisconsin somehow, whether it's two interceptions and a fumble, two fumbles and an interception, um, maybe even three fumbles at this point. Um, I do think that Iowa is going to be able to win this field position battle with Torrey Taylor. And I, I think that's going to be a, a key thing to them for them. And I, and Caleb Shudak, you know, that missed 25 yarder again, I think a lot of the Purdue, what we saw from Purdue game was sort of an aberration that's not reflective of how good this Iowa team actually is. And Caleb Shudak, from what we've seen all year, the ball just jumps off his foot. It's crisp. I don't think he's going to miss a lot of field goals um, the rest of the way. Um, I'll just say that. Yeah, you feel really good about Iowa special teams. As you said, you kind of throw that kick out the window. The rest of it is there. And we even saw toward the end of that Purdue game, a long kick return, a long punt return. Iowa wasn't able to do anything with it partly because they were going against the clock. Like they were pretty much in it. We have to pass. We have to push the ball downfield and it wasn't going to be successful. Uh, but yeah, I, I totally can see Iowa winning this. And, you know, I could see us saying, look, look how much better they look with, with shot healthy in getting some reps. Uh, maybe Keegan Johnson or Arlen Bruce, they get some additional go. Tyler Goodson had a week to rest. So all those things definitely are in play, and I'm not shocked we walk in, we walk away from that game saying, "What well, Wisconsin went back to kind of how they looked at the beginning of the year." Yeah, absolutely agree, and and there's no way that Wisconsin can live against Iowa's defense by running the ball 60 times or 50 times in this game and only throwing the ball eight times and being successful in offense the way they were against Purdue. I mean, Phil Parker is just the master of adjustments. Um, the personnel is there to make adjustments to various different kinds of things. And like I said, YA Black, I think, is going to be in the mix a lot this week. And hopefully we see sort of just him being a body um, that is not getting steamboated over. Because I remember, you know, when back when um, AJ Epinesa and that, that team in 2019 uh, was playing against this Wisconsin team, when they had... Uh, Noah Shannon and Austin Schulte in that game, no matter, they were getting just driven seven yards back. They, Iowa just needs to find a guy that at one of those spots can just stick there. And YA Black, I mean, 
good luck moving that guy. Um, you know, if his technique is on point and he actually gets a, you know, there's not an immediate hand in his chest. You're even with a double team. That dude is a load. I mean, he just looks wide. He looks tall. He looks big. He looks long. Um, and then even with like a guy like Logan Lee, I think he might be a better stand up against the run kind of guy than Noah Shannon. Um, even with the slenderer frame, just because he has a good anchor point and he has strong, a really strong base. I don't know if he played wrestling. I think we talked about this early in the year, but in high school he was, I, yeah, okay. You're shaking your head. Yes. Um, yep, he was a wrestler. Yeah. And you, again, he's, he's a guy that you can tell just because the hands, you know, when you see a guy with super active hands and that knows sort of how to generate torque and attack a guy and sort of get the offensive lineman across from off balance. Logan Lee has that kind of ability. And I think that's important. Yeah, they're going to have their hands full during this game. But as you mentioned, they've got some players that can fit that role. And if they can keep, you know, just eat up some blocks, keep those linebackers free and force Wisconsin in those long yardage situations and, and force Mertz to have to beat this defense. Uh, you know, I really like Iowa's chances if that's the case. Absolutely. And somehow Thad and I have talked for over an hour. <laughs> we talked about before the podcast. You know, we're gonna this is gonna be an under 40 minute podcast because we're only having the preview of Wisconsin. We're not having to uh, recap another of the previous game because we already did that last week. Still hit that over hour mark. <laughs> well, you know, you gotta there's a lot to talk about in a Wisconsin game in these two teams. So it's a huge game, both fan bases, both teams, you know, this is kind of a, you don't want to say make or break of the season, but I don't really, whoever wins this game, I don't see them losing another regular season game. So one of these teams is going to, you know, really propel the rest, could really propel the rest of their season. Yeah. It always does feel like Wisconsin is the, the hurdle um to getting into a big 10 title game because they just they come out of this division all the time and end up and be playing in the big 10 title and northwestern this season i don't, don't want to say and bring up the fact that they're down um but they're down this is a bad northwestern team and i yeah they still might be a threat for iowa we'll talk about that when that game comes but wisconsin is the hurdle um, when Iowa can't beat Wisconsin, it feels like the season kind of goes down. Um, it, it draw it plummets down to a tier, uh, below the expectations heading into the Wisconsin game. But when you beat Wisconsin, it just kind of feels like, Oh, the sky's the limit for this Iowa team kind of thing. So hopefully, you know, next week when you guys listen to the pod, um, we're bringing up a win and everything is, is peachy. And we're, we're talking about how great the offense looked and how, Oh my God, the offensive line really turned it around after that bye week who, who would have thought? And we're talking about, Oh, I was defense actually bounced, bounced back, um, shut down a strong rushing attack for Wisconsin, uh, took advantage of a bad quarterback and Graham Mertz. And you know, every, everything is right. And, and the Iowa Hawkeye nation once more. Yeah, let's uh, next week. Let's plan on when we meet up. We'll all cheers to that one. <laughs> well, that said, all of you beautiful people, we are signing off. And I just used my intro line for my outro line. It kind of felt weird. I felt like it took me back in my seat a little bit. Anyway, we will see you in a future podcast. Take it easy. <laughs>